Welcome to PointCast. I'm Francine Dash. Today we have with us George Middleton. Thank you, sir, for being with us today. I look forward to having a discussion and learning more about what you do. Thank you for having me, and it is a pleasure to be here. Now, you are in the mental health community. I do want to talk about that, and you have uh, expressed some interesting perspectives when it comes to race and society in general, and I also want to talk about that if we could, but before we go into that discussion, I really want to learn more about who you are, Mr. Middleton, and how you got to be who you are today. So tell us a little bit about your background, perhaps your childhood, and where you're from. I'm a mental health therapist promoting a series of works addressing the connection between race ideology and our mental health. And I started out, um, Mr. Reader's Digest version, I've been a working musician and instructor for most of my working years. And then uh, one of my contracts uh, led me to a really unique place in Indiana called Culver Military Academy. Work with uh, the young the young people that work there, just a special group of, of student that attends that environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was teaching some of their ensembles. And uh, because of my work, I was invited to become part of their Culver family. So they brought me into a position called a student life counselor. And that mm-hmm. is where my love relationship with something other than music began uh, in the area of mental health. Um, mm-hmm. These, these uh, young people, they come from all over the country, all over the world, and they're away from their parents. So you end up in a position where you are uh, providing a lot of family counseling services, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that I enjoyed it. I, I liked it. I, I was even a little bit, I think I thought I was good at it. And in a conversation with my mother, she encouraged me to to pursue that that, uh, interest uh, academically. And at that point in your your life, how long did you end up doing this with Culver Academy? How long did you participate in that role? I was there for about five years. Five years. So during that time, you decided to wade into the the world of, of mental health. Yes. And is that the point where you began to educate yourself about mental health in general and pursue it as a career? Yeah, you're right on the money uh, because the process of mental health requires you to deal with your own with your own issues mm-hmm. and to recognize um, uh, your thinking patterns, mm-hmm. the ones that work well and the ones that don't work so well. Uh, right. And so I could I could relate with the with the young adolescent at that stage because they're trying to figure out how to, how to think you know what's what's effective what's going to work where are they trying to go who am i you know right, what's my right. purpose all those things now this was some time ago i take it when you yes. started this journey i find it very interesting um with within the african american community uh mental health mental health care is not necessarily a part of the broad culture. It's something that for many generations has been dealt with perhaps in different ways or ignored altogether. I'm interested in how you seem to go into it so easily. Yes, because similar to most other systemic areas, um, the service providers in mental health do not represent adequately the population that is in most need of service. And often uh, members from our community, and when I say our community, I mean the racial demographic black community, 
uh, usually have initial therapeutic experiences with culturally irrelevant uh, service providers. Mm -hmm. And they, they may be well-intended, well-meaning, but in the same uh, breath are doing harm and creating negative experiences for our community because it's based on a whole nother set of standards. Can you give me an example of how harm could be caused by someone who doesn't perhaps understand African-American culture or? So in, let's take the Department of Child Services, uh, juvenile court systems, they make decisions about whether, you know, when to take a child from the home. Mm. And so if your name is, and I'm not trying to be insulting when I say these things, I'm just giving examples. But if your name is Heather and you're walking into someone's home whose son's name is Daquan, automatically you're set up for a big difference in perspective Mm. because you're going to bring Heather's perspectives, which there's nothing inherently wrong with her perspectives, but Heather's bringing her perspectives on Daquan's home and standard standard of living. Mm -hmm. And and most of this is happening on a very subconscious, unconscious basis. Mm -hmm. So then so then Daquan gets taken out of the home, the family gets split up, they now they're introduced into the system and it is one heck of a ride. Mm -hmm. And I've been working with families that are have been through the round five, six, several times. Mm-hmm. You know, to mm-hmm. the point where, you know, parents are, are losing their children. So both both are well-intended, both are well-meaning, but both are not on the same language. They're not on the same plane of understanding, and it causes a lot of harm. Now, you have spoken at length, I gather, about culture and race. I'm really interested in hearing your perspective, having had you state that dynamic between a Daquan and a Heather what is your take on this whole race paradigm or cultural differences that exist here in America? Uh, my first goal is just to get people on the same page about what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so as it refers to the system and race and race and culture, there is a difference between racial identity and cultural identity. Race is about an ideology. Culture it is in reference to the community around you and the agreed upon practices, beliefs, traditions, greetings, ceremonies. That's culture stuff. Race, all race cares about is what color are you so that we know where to put you in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And the, the race ideology, to put it bluntly, is an ideology of white supremacy, meaning white is the standard, and everything non-white, so it, it comes under that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was created, the race, ide- race ideology was created in the 1600s by the European for the purposes of justification of the transatlantic slave trade. So it was all for economic purposes. Mm-hmm. Often people will get in and say, well, race has been around a long time. It, you know, race is in the Bible. You know, everybody used race. And, you know, they like to just kind of obfuscate the issue. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't get into arguing with people about what their truth is. Mm-hmm. But objective speaking, everything I'm giving you when I'm talking about race is objective fact. Mm-hmm. So if you do your history and your research, you'll find that the European created the ideology of race. Now, whatever else you want to talk about outside of that, hey, 
that's great. Let's go have a drink somewhere and, you know, sip a wine and read whatever you want to do on that. But right now, for purposes of this discussion, right. we're talking about the European invented ideology of race. So you're saying that the ideology of race created by the Europeans in the 1600s is the same system under which we are living today? Exactly. And that is where, um, that's where we are unconsciously missing the boat. Because most of us today, when we are talking about race, we think we're just talking about skin color. Mm -hmm. And so we're only staying skin deep about this subject. Well, I like you, George. You're a good guy. I mean, I've, you know, I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't see anything wrong. I don't, you know, see your color. I don't, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the belief systems that we all carry black or white. If you identify by one of those two colors on the race ideology spectrum, then you also have those associated beliefs that you most of the times not aware of. There is the conscious racist, and then there's the unconscious. And well, let's most talk, of, let's talk about let's talk about the conscious and unconscious races. Okay. I'm really, really intrigued by that. How do you let's start with how are you? How is it possible to be an unconscious racist? Once you once you identify, if you accept the concept of race as an identity, of mm-hmm. race as a legitimate uh, categorization, on many levels, you're going to be complicit in perpetuating that ideology and its impacts and has nothing to do with your intent. Most of us are born into this system. Most of us are not consciously making choices as to who we are. We are taking societal cues by how we're being perceived and saying, hmm, I must be black. Mm. So if I'm black, I, that means these things. Hmm, I must be white. And if I'm white, that means these, and this is not happening on a conscious basis. Mom is not sitting you down. Dad's not sitting you down saying, okay, son, which one do you want to be? You're learning these lessons and they're being just handed down to you and words are never spoken. So in some way, are we all complicit then if we choose to follow the, the, the plan that's been laid out for us so many generations ago? Are we kind of all unconsciously participating in that? We're definitely we're definitely participating in it. Mm-hmm. Um, com- complicit. I don't like to use the word complicit because it has an air of blame. And as a therapist, um, that's one of the relationship killers. That's mm-hmm. what that's what kills the discussion. The minute someone feels they're being accused, uh, blamed, um, put upon, as if they, it's their responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and often that's what kills anything about discussions about race because someone's going to get upset that they're being a call to racist or someone's going to be upset because they've been triggered by being put upon or, or being victimized. Because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. race is heavily emotionally loaded mm-hmm. and that's what gets in the way of any forward motion. But yes, we were all participating in it, mm-hmm. especially if you identify by color. But what what's the opposite of is it possible to exist in society without identifying or being identified? Is it possible to ignore the bubble that makes you choose a color, but then come back and get a copy of that same paper and realize that someone filled it in for you? How do you- I, I, love, I love that question. Um, <laughs> I would say that uh, those who come most close to the idea of your question are those that are already intact with who they're 
who they are culturally. So for example, one of the discussions in race often comes to, well, how come people from Africa and Nigeria come over and do so well? And here you are in America and you're black and you, you, you're not doing anything. And they're coming and they're outperforming you this and they're doing that, doing this. A lot of cultures come from outside of America and do very well. And they're fully uh, aware of the racial dynamic in America and, and globally. However, they have a, an extra layer of resilience. They have an identity of culture that supersedes anything that race tries to do. So, so when someone tries to approach a person who's already intact culturally, who knows who they are culturally, and they tr approach them from a racial perspective consciously or unconsciously, it's a different response. You're not, you, you're not in, you have not internalized the belief system of race as it uh, refers to you because you're either Nigerian, you're, you're uh, Asian, you're Hispanic, you're, you're, you're something other be before someone tries to say you're white or black. But this does have an impact on the world, as you stated, in some ways, whether it has an impact on that person it has an impact on systems. And I do right. want to get back on, to that. But before we do, I want to go back to, we talked a little bit about an unconscious racist. I want to talk about a conscious racist. What does that mean? So, uh, so a conscious race, racist is one who intentionally practices the ideology of white supremacy. So that means in any aspect, white must be on top. Whatever it takes to do that is what an unconscious racist will set out to do. I mean, what a conscious racist will set out to do. So in whatever situation, it is never acceptable for white to not be on top. So by that standard or by that definition, only white people can be racists? Well, because if we're talking about if we're, mm -hmm. if we're talking about a system of power defined by whiteness, and that is the scale by which everyone right. is right. measured by, then I I can't be racist. You can't be, it, it, it would be a person who could wield some sort of systemic power. I just want to make sure I'm understanding. In in white supremacy, mm -hmm. any anybody can be a racist, but only a racist towards non-whites. Okay, because that's, that's, that is what racism is. That's what white supremacy is. So mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what you look like. Mm -hmm. Just as long as you believe what I'm telling you to believe and you behave the way I'm telling you to behave. As long well, as you do that, you're fine. The reason why I ask is recently there have been a lot of political protests and outbursts. There have been people who've been calling President Trump, for instance, a racist and people who gathered around him and some of the folks that were showing up in certain parts of the country, racist. But in that crowd and some of the photos, I saw some people of color and of other ethnicities in that crowd. And I wonder to myself if they're participating in the entire thought process of what's bringing those people together to support Donald Trump in that space. And the reason why I say that, there were rebel flags out. And there, there, was, there was a full display of, you know, of tangible symbols of racism. Yes. Yet in, in that same space, were people who may be, I don't know their story, may be descendants of victims of said racism. So I'm trying to understand, how does that, it's just so much, how would you explain that sort of thinking? 
Uh, racism does extremely well in the era of confusion. And so everything you just described is an atmosphere of confusion. Mm -hmm. First of all, you have people operating on a racial identity, black or white, mm -hmm. which that is, an, it is not a valid identity, okay? It's, it's not a real scientifically, genetically valid identity. So there's identity confusion. Mm -hmm. Then the concept of racism itself is not 100% collectively acknowledged. So you're going to have people in that group that acknowledge it, people in that group that don't acknowledge it. And based on your political persuasion, you're going to be more or less apt. Mm -hmm. And so uh, people on his uh, partisan uh, side of the coin are going to repeat that same mantra and behave accordingly, reg regardless of what your skin color is. Mm -hmm. So when you have this confusion where people can't see the same thing at the same time and call it exactly what it is, you're going to get just that type of environment. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and then you have this ability to, to acknowledge it when you want to and to, to dismiss it when you want to. Mm -hmm. And no one is going to really challenge you because everybody is, is on all sides of the issue mm -hmm. with regard to race mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the use of people with dark skin in a Trump party or a um, um, landscape like that is just another well-crafted uh, strategy and technique for them to say, look, we're not racist. Look, we got, we got black people here. So why is that important for them to try to purport that they're not racist? I, I don't quite, I don't think I quite understand if you clearly say you're against a group of people and you're against policies that would help those people in any form or fashion, then, you know, that's what you believe. But why try so hard to say that you don't believe that? So why does, why does that mentality need to, to get that sort of, of, of approval from others that they're not really racist? This is just a good idea that other people haven't caught on to yet. It depends on your purpose. If your purpose, if if you're the conscious racist, then you need to keep everybody off kilter. You need to keep everybody off balance. So you never admit what you really believe, never. Mm -hmm. Because that's giving away a, a tactic that you need to use for later purposes. Mm -hmm. If you are an unconscious, if you're just part of the system uh, and you say you identify as white, the white identity cannot emotionally handle the accusation of being a racist why is There's that a, why is that so why is there so much fragility around that discussion in the white community in your opinion the, the identity was designed for it to be that way uh, objectively speaking the white identity and the black identity were designed to have two different experiences in the same environment mm -hmm. That is a, a, a tactic and strategy that serves well the creator of that ideology because he can't have you two communicating on the same level about issues at any time. He cannot have that. So when he calls you white, then your whole perspective about politics, about the president, about George Floyd, about uh, O.J. Simpson, you're coming from a whole different 
ideological perspective versus if you identify as black, designed that way. And over, over one objective occurrence, you're gonna take two different perspectives. And so you waste a lot of time trying to um, unify the perspective, which often never gets unified. And you spend that energy and that emotional angst and getting worked up uh, to where you're just a pawn for what the real purpose is intended for. So if you're, if you're unconscious about it and you identify as white, the, the guilt comes with that identity. There's no, there's no other way around it. When we talk about this system of racism that was created in 16, was it 1648? Was that the year you gave me? 1600s, uh, probably somewhere around there. Right. So logically, I can wrap my mind around it. I've heard the exact same thing. Um, it was for basically marketing purposes. But it's amazing <laughs> to me how that branding campaign from the 1600s has stained our existence in, in modern day life, which leads me to this next question. Someone has to be responsible for keeping that flame alive. Who's responsible? for keeping the systemic racism under which we all live, not just in this country, I would argue. I'm hearing too many discussions in, uh, in the diaspora in Europe. I'm hearing discussions among people discussing colorism in the Hispanic community in Brazil and some recent brutality that has taken place there. Uh, some of the people who have come here from Mexico and dealing with the difference between indigenous and those, the Europeans who mixed in or the white people who mixed, all of these different discussions that have been clouded underneath the system. Who's now responsible for fanning that flame? Well, I know the question is trying to get to the, the exact particular source. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that would be an exercise in futility to try to narrow it down to a particular source or group. The system of racism, the system of white supremacy is a large system. So when I'm addressing it, uh, I'm not addressing it from the perspective of dismantling racism, mm -hmm. cha challenging white supremacy. Mm -hmm. uh, because in, 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 a, in, in a strange way, that is actually reinforcing it. Really? Yes. That's interesting. To, 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 to challenge something and it's a well-oiled machine. It's 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 not going anywhere because you don't like it. I mean, history has shown that there's been a lot of distaste, but it's it's still here. It knows how to it knows how to withstand those type of barrages. Well, let me ask the question this way: Could a system okay. of government, could the way we govern, have something to do with maintaining racism as we know it today? Yes, and, and uh, America is really at a crossroads with regard to that question. You know, with okay, what are what is this government all about? Mm -hmm. um, if you notice the title of my book, uh, "Can You Be American and a Color Too?" It's mm -hmm. designed to get us to really assess what being American means, what being black means, and what being white means, and are they working together? Or are they working against each other? Mm -hmm. and, and the concept of what the founding fathers had for America was by the people, for the people. Uh, so ultimately, the people are responsible. 
but I would push back a little bit on that in, in, in question form or for the sake of this discussion. Okay. The people who were operating in that space were wealthy white men of note, right? right. So right. I don't know if they imagined a world where I and you would be sitting and speaking in this way in our homes, in our lives, you with all of those letters behind your name in the world that we live in today. You know, there was no, I, you know, I can't, there were people who were in that space who like freed their slaves after they died. But did they think that, they think about for the people, including me, including you, you know, did people even, was that a person of color? Could a person have been a person of color back when we were, what was it, three fourths? Yeah. 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 So uh, when I hear people make that same argument, and I yield to it too, because it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful to think that there was foresight, even though there were flaws in their own humanity, there was enough foresight to imagine that there would be a government by the people for the people that would be democratic in all of its ways. And for the most part, it has withstood a lot of, a lot. But because it was not originally established in my mind for all of us, my question then is, could that have been a problem? Is there... Is this, should we be looking at redoing a constitution that is really for all of us? Is it so, possible to think about it in that way? Yeah, so you point out beautifully the hypocrisy that, our, that this great concept was built on. Mm-hmm. The concept is excellent. The execution is what this has been a problem. <laughs> and, That's and a good who, point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the concept, there's nothing wrong with the concept at all. Right. right. Uh, um, however, America came in as a white standard concept, and everything else had to fall under subjection of white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just a natural part of the identity. And it's ironic because the very things that America was trying to get away from from its mother uh, from its motherland, it brought that mindset right with it thinking it was doing something different how ironic <laughs> yes yes uh, so, so and so at that time white was the only game in town who's going to challenge white mm-hmm. who's going to mm-hmm. challenge that white straight you know christian uh that was that was the game so that was all there was yeah that was it that was it so it's, it's so it's easy to agree with each other when we all see it the same way when we all come from the same thing right but the the beauty of the constitution was that it was designed for when we don't see things exactly the same way mm-hmm. for when we don't come from different backgrounds when we don't have the same beliefs that's when that's the measure of when the concept works now going since you refer to your book and going back to the title of your book can you be an american and a color too i'm curious can you be an American and a color too? And if so, what do you consider yourself? Individually, I reject any Euro construct uh, of, as it re- refers to me, of identity or ideology. Mm-hmm. And that's a process because I've been in America under a system of white supremacy uh, for all of my life. And only since start, starting this work have I started the, the mental process of extracting this European ideology, the white Jesus, the 
the white standards of corporate America, the other white standards of behavior. And again, not to insult or disparage those who may identify that way. Mm -hmm. But as it refers to me, that isn't who I, I made. I'm making a conscious choice at this point. That is not who I am. Mm -hmm. I, the, this color label was created by my historic oppressor. And there's been a lot of trauma, damage, harm, uh, thievery, lynching, raping, right. uh, generational abuse that goes with those labels. And so I, I individually, personally reject that. But because of the history of my ancestors who, whose blood literally is in the soil of this country, even till today, that makes me as American, if not more American than anyone else. I don't have to put a predicate before it. I don't have to qualify it. I don't have to clarify it. It is what it is. And all I really have to do at this point mm -hmm. is believe it. That's where it counts. Because believe it many of us don't believe it. Be right. Believe that exactly yeah. to where you now have internalized being American and everything that means. Mm -hmm. I want to get two thoughts before we end our discussion today. What, is, what are your thoughts about uh, people in the news recently, uh, Caucasian people who were passing as Black people? What are your thoughts about that? Oh, man, that is such a great um, issue, a great discussion. Mm -hmm. It definitely gets to the heart of my work um, because it goes back to the reality of the identity. Right. How do you prove someone's black? Mm -hmm. How do you prove someone's white? And then what do you do when someone's biracial? Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. And when you start trying to put logic in these discussions, all of a sudden you start seeing some 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 irrationality in the process. Mm -hmm. So when you have a person who uh, on the outer appearances would be perceived as white who identifies with the um, vibration of black, that really is an opportunity to have discussions, to really come to clarity with really what you all are saying, mm. okay? So if you, you have white skin and you're being, and you identify as black, what does that mean? Mm. Is that a genetic thing? Is it an emotional thing? What, what does that really mean? Because it means different things to different people. I wonder if it means that culture is open to anyone who receives it, right? If, in the sense that if people have taken on or taken, or, or taken into some of the customs of a group of people, you know, there are some things you're, you're born into. You're born into an understanding that my grandmother gave to me and she didn't even have to put words to it it's like it was in the bone right uh but there's some people who appreciate that whether they experience it or not and because of their deep appreciation they long to be a part of that they long to identify so they start taking on that identity and start to change their exterior to fit that identity and uh, it starts this discussion among people you know what is color what is culture is it is it what is you know is it yes. possible that someone could be of one ethnic group 
or you know that can enter into the same space of uh, certain genders, right? right or uh, right. gender spaces. But is for the sake of this discussion, one ethnic group, and they feel they're a different like group. They're a different group. It's like, do we say? Do we just arbitrarily say you don't look it, so therefore you can't express yourself in that way? Well, I, when I like to first separate the the color from the culture uh, often we'll say black culture but from my premise and in my platform the uh, the work that i'm doing black is not a culture black is just an ideology that says you are lower than someone who's not black that's all that means now that doesn't mean you don't have culture you just don't know the name of your culture Culture is so deep in all of us. We There are cultural practices sent down to us generationally that come from origins that many of us have consciously forgotten. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not color. Right. It's not black. Mm-hmm. It's, it's from where you really came from. You just need to go back and do your research and find out where your beliefs, where your food uh, choices, uh, your dancing... Um, uh, moves, all that, where that really came from. You want to attribute to color, but that's really your culture. You just don't know the name of your culture. Mm. And it keeps things, it gives this, the discussion more clarity. Because again, black and white is only about pecking order. That's all that that, that contributes to society is pecking order. Culture is where the beauty is. Culture is where your belief system is, but your belief system culturally will come into conflict with the colors belief system because the color system says certain colors are on top, certain colors are on bottom. Mm -hmm. And so you're you're trying to merge two belief systems that that create a lot of what I call cognitive dissonance. Mm. And so, so now you have a person who with, 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 with light skin who culturally feels more resonant with a group with darker skin. Mm -hmm. And therein lies the confusion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if you look across the world, there are cultures with many shades of skin color Mm -hmm. that had that regardless of what their skin color is, they have the same beliefs. They can do the same dances or they have the same, uh, culinary appetites, mm-hmm. um, uh, the same occupations, mm-hmm. and, and, and have totally different uh, or just a variety of skin tones. Mm-hmm. And what we try to do is take these beliefs and practices and shovel them in either black or white. But also in a lot of those cultures around the world, they have that issue with, as you put it, pecking order, interfering with their ability to share culture. Yes. Yes. and build community you know yes. like the brazilian example i gave you there was a, a darker skin or black for the sake of, of argument looking man um, you know that brazil is filled with uh, you know because of slave trade there were that's right. of africa down there too and um they're dealing with some of the same issues there that we're dealing with here right so he was beaten brutally um, and I, I forget what the traffic offense was, or if it was even one, and was, but I'd have to go back before I speak out of turn, but it, it like, you know, it, it 
throws us back into thinking about people like George Floyd and others um, who have dealt with those things systemically. But uh, before we get lost in that part, I do want to <laughs> ask you, that, because that's a discussion unto itself. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, I really want to understand, you sound like you're in the process of d- dismantling the concept of race and its impact in your own life. And I personally applaud you for that because it is a false construct that I think boxes people in and does not allow them to develop into their full potential because you're basically assigned a slot, whether it fits or not. And it decides your societal value, regardless. Well said. I would like, thank you. I would like to get some advice from you to people who would hear this as to some of the steps you've taken that they might take to start this process for themselves. Because this is a whole, this is a whole mind shift, you know. It is. And how did you begin this process personally? Well, coming from a therapeutic and ethical perspective, one of one of my obligations as a therapist is to advocate for my client in systemic areas that are causing stressors to my client. Uh, racism is that stressor. Racism is that systemic stressor. So it, 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 it does me no good. It does the client no good. If I work on that client individually, only to, to send that client back into the environment that is responsible for the stressor causing the dysfunctional behavior. So I'm obligated to address that. I see racism as that. On, Ju- on June 9th, the Marion County... The city county council of Marion County declared racism a public health crisis. And it's happened, and this is happening in other cities as we speak. It's great to declare it as a public health crisis, but now how do you address racism? Right, I was going to ask that. How do you address it? Because a public health crisis requires three components, prevention, mitigation, and repair in terms of your strategy of addressing it. So Mm -hmm. how do you prevent racism? Mm-hmm. How do you mitigate racism? And then how do you repair the damages that racism has done? And that's how I steer the, the, the discussion. And it's an increasingly important as we enter 2021, because if we do not have a proactive strategy in addressing racism collectively, we are going to really be done in as a country mm-hmm. uh, because race and our politics are intricately t- tied. And we, if we can't learn to separate them and understand which belief systems we're operating from when we're discussing our politics and creating our policies, uh, we're going to continually just to make the hole in our boat larger instead of filling it up. Mm -hmm. And it has to be done individually. When we're addressing racism, people want someone, yeah, someone needs to fix that. Someone needs to go fix that. No, Uh, just to get back to your question you asked earlier, who's responsible? We are all responsible. Systemic issues come from individual beliefs. Racism needs your individual participation. And it doesn't need it consciously. It doesn't care whether you agree with it. It doesn't care whether you disagree with it. It doesn't care whether you acknowledge it or dismiss it. It needs your belief. So simple things like believing you're a skin color for an identity, simple things like seeing others and pegging others into areas of skin color. That's the start. That's you have to start there because anything else you do before that, after I mean, after that, mm-hmm. 
you're just you're spitting in the wind mm -hmm. because ultimately you're going to come right back to your belief default, which is I see you as a skin color. And right. so all my beliefs are going to be governed accordingly based on how I believe what I see. Well, you know, the time that we allot for the podcast is not enough to, to really just exhaust this, this topic, but I really appreciate you taking time out to share your thoughts on this very important topic, the work you've done, and also your book. If people are interested in getting a copy of your book for their personal library, how could they do that? Uh, my book is self-published. It is available on Amazon. And I'm, I'm free to do, uh, in terms of contacting me, you can get me on any of the social media platforms, but I'm free to do uh, presentations for groups to further explain how the concept works, especially if you're a human service provider. I really want to, to get in front of people who have decision-making influence in systems of education, law enforcement, mm -hmm. uh, uh, judiciary, political, mm -hmm. uh, financial, because these are where all of the disparities coming from that COVID-19 is revealing. Yeah. All these system disparities come right along racial lines. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I would strongly encourage to start with the book. Yeah, you know, at risk of sounding like I need mental health services myself, <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you that this is the only approach that is evidence-based on changing behavior. If you really want to change racism, you have to change behavior. To change behavior, you have to address your belief systems that contribute to it. No one else is approaching this work this way. And if you really want to, to, to do something other than the definition of insanity, get, get one of my books, connect with me, let's collaborate, let's get in with systems and begin this change of thought in all of these systemic areas of our lives. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Again, the book is Can You Be American and a Color Too? Author George Middleton. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being a part of PointCast. And I look forward to having a future conversation with you. I would love to learn about some things that I'm sure you're going to be involved in in the future. I've enjoyed this thoroughly myself. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to this edition of PointCast. To listen to any of our podcasts, please go to our website at www.pointcast.news. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts. And of course, we are always on Facebook and Instagram at Pointcaster. Thank you for listening.